You are listening to the Holmes Avenue Baptist Church Podcast. To learn more about Holmes Avenue or how you can join the mission, visit us online at holmesavenue.com. Good morning. I want to start with a quick story happened to me last week. I went to Canada. This is actually Saturday night a week ago, and I needed to drive an hour to where I was going after the airport, and it said it wasn't going to snow for two more hours. It's 10 o'clock at night, and about five minutes into my drive, it starts snowing heavily. Um, I don't really like driving at night. Is there anybody here who actually enjoys driving at night? And I don't like driving in precipitation. Um, you know, my first thought is, okay, I'm just put the high beams on and be able to see everything better. And I guess being a Charleston driver that I quickly found out high beams and snow is not a good idea. It's kind of like high beams and fog, right? All you get is this whiteout. And I, I, I'm, I'm worried. <laughs> and the only thing I can figure out, because the whole road is now white. I can't see lanes. Uh, the nice thing is if I go too far left or too far right, I get to go, 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 go. Um, but really the only thing I can do is try to get close enough to a car in front of me and see it's the red, the red lights behind. And it's, it's just one of those interesting things. I can't see anything else, but they're red lights. And I have to use the logical conclusion, as long as those red lights are still on and not flipping over and over, it's probably safe to follow them. They must still be on the road. And so that's what I would do. I, I would, I'm, I'm fighting against these emotions that make me want to just say, just pull over. Great. Spend the night in negative 20 degree temperature on the side of the road. That's a great idea, Nate. Uh, no, you got to keep going. Keep your eyes on these, these faint red lights and trust that that is evidence that the truth is the road's still here. And, and it wasn't a blizzard. I could see the red lights and I, I ended up getting, getting there. The title of the message today is, What do you do when you are threatened? We're going to read about this time when Paul was threatened in Acts 23. We're going to ask this question. Paul, how did you respond? And we're going to look at that both from what are things he didn't do? in his response, and what are the things he did do in his response? And then we're going to ask the same thing of ourselves. What do you do when you face a threat? And then we're going to identify biblical ways to prepare ourselves for the next threat that's coming down the tracks. So just a little bit of review and where you've been in Acts until now. Paul was compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now let's be clear. The Spirit doesn't always compel Paul to go into the heart of danger. This time, that's the case. We know danger awaits for him in Jerusalem. But there are times the Spirit directs him away from danger, right? You remember the time he was lowered by a basket on the outside of a wall to escape danger? 
This time, though, the Spirit's leading him to a place of trouble. A side note, the other day I was hanging out with Jesus in the morning, and it as after his baptism, the scripture read in Mark 3, it said, and the Spirit drove Jesus. I, I stopped right there, and, and I just take time to say, oh, that sounds really good. I want to be driven by the Spirit. This is, this is early in the morning. I'm, it's my time with Jesus. I'm like, I like that. I like that wording. Drive me, Spirit. And then I kept reading. Probably should have read the rest of the passage before I just started praying that. It said, the Spirit drove him to the desert. The Spirit drove him to a place of temptation and direct confrontation with Satan. The reality, though, is both in the case of Paul and Jesus, they're just saying, Spirit, you lead. Sometimes he's going to drive us away from danger. Sometimes he's going to drive us into the heart of danger. But he's always driving us according to the will of the Father. So here's Paul. He's been driven back into Jerusalem. He starts preaching. This has been your last couple weeks of sermons. They're listening. I thought it was interesting to note. They listened up until a certain point in his gospel message. This, and when he got to this point in Acts twenty two twenty one, 21, Paul says, go, this is God, Paul recounting what God has told Paul to do. He says, go. For I will send you far away to the Gentiles. It wasn't the other part of the gospel message. It's this sentence that then incites the crowd in the following verses. They listened to Paul up to this statement. And then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth. For he should not be allowed to live. Again, we're building up to the passage today. I think it's interesting that when Paul spoke of the gospel's application that includes people of all races and ethnicities, that's when he stepped on their racist hearts. And they said, away from this man from earth. So now the threat's going to happen. Now we've set the table for Acts 23, and if you would, open your Bibles with me to Acts 23, starting in verse 12, and we're going to read this passage together. When it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. There are more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, We have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you, as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Now, the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks and told, told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the tribune and said, Paul, the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you, as he has something to say to you. 
The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them, for more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. So the tribune dismissed the young man, charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Then he called two of the centurions and said, Get ready 200 soldiers with 17 horse, 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen to go as far as Caesarea at the third hour of the night. Also provide mounts for Paul to ride and bring him safely to Felix the governor. And then he wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, to his excellency, the governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them, and I came upon them and with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused about questions of their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. So the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul, brought him by night to Antipatris, and on the next day they returned to the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. And when they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, he said, I'll give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Hmm. So many layers to this passage. At the greatest layer, we know there's God, the storyteller who has predestined our steps since before the foundations, right? Ephesians and many other books tell us that, where he's carrying out his eternal plan of redemption. Then you got this layer of forces of evil, right? Our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but powers and principalities. But these powers and principalities are working through flesh and blood. Now it's inciting these Jews to both racism and now murder of Paul. Another layer. We've got this nephew who's placed by God just at the right place in the right time. We call those God, God incidences, right? And he hears evil scheme, and he has the courage to report it. And then we got another layer. We've got this government who seems to be at work to keep safe a Roman citizen. And then we've got the Paul layer. Paul doesn't know all of God's plans. Paul doesn't know all of evil's schemes. Paul doesn't know all the government's plans. But he does know some things, right? We know that 
God has met him in a dream to again encourage him. He would make it to Rome. So God's got plans going to Rome. He knows that evil has a scheme to kill him. He also knows he's a Roman citizen. So this story is both natural and supernatural at the same time. We know that the great storyteller... He's not held back by evil schemes. We learned that way back when in the Bible and the story of Joseph, right? Even when men mean things for evil, God can mean it for good. Paul himself had already written Romans 8.28, saying God causes all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So we know the storyteller is going to tell the story. But Paul's facing an imminent threat here. Many people are determined at their own harm, they will kill Paul. And so what I'd like to do is take a step back and say, what does Paul do and what doesn't he do when he faces an imminent threat? And I want us to look at that through Paul's life. I want us to look at that biblically. But at the same time, I want to come back at the end and say, you're maybe in the middle of a threat or about to face a threat. How are you handling it? How are you preparing to handle it? Because we know they're coming. So first, there's a threat. Threat then cues fear. I want to take a second to talk about fear. My wife and I got to go to a marriage conference, and Brian and Miranda were there as well. And we were introduced to this author, Chip Dodd, and really talked about different emotions from a biblical perspective. I'm not going to recount his messages right now, but I do want to talk about what he says about fear. He would say fear is, is one of the few natural emotions. He says fear itself is it's just an emotion. It's, it's neutral. It's not good or bad. It's just an emotion. You're human, and humans feel emotions. God gives emotions to humans. This is a natural emotion. Now, you're going to quickly see it can have a negative expression or a good expression, but fear itself is a God-given emotion. Fear highlights our humanity. Humanity, humus, the root word is dirt. It it highlights the fact we are from the dust. We're not God. We're not in control. We're human. Fear is a God-given emotion to say, hey, human, I'm reminding you, you're human. It points to the fact we're not in control. God is. Think about that for a second. If you're like me, you faced some fear this past week. You had an emotion that we call fear this past week. Was the trigger to that emotion, I don't think I have control right now. That wasn't my plan. It wasn't supposed to go that way. I don't know what's going to happen next. There's an emotion hide with that reality of I don't have control, and it's called fear. And that emotion is God-given. That's a gift. 
Because that's actually accurate. You don't have control. You're humus. You're humanity. You're from dust. You're not God. So fear can give you a gift. Fear itself is neutral, but the gift it can give you is this thing called faith. Okay, I can't control it, so my only reasonable reaction would be trust in the one who can control it. However, if we don't take that gift of fear, we're going to give ourselves into what we call toxic fear, which says, i got to try harder to control it. And the, the, the less control I have, the more anxious I get. And now I'm churning. Neutral fear gave two paths. Path one, faith. Put an anchor in the one who controls. Path two is, i got to try harder to control. i got to try harder to control. And I'm, I'm coming unwinded, finding that I'm not controlling it call that anxiety. Misplaced fear leads to anxiety. And anxiety wants to undo you, and its end result, according to Chip Dodd, is this word called rage. You can rage in different ways. I'm not talking anger here. I'm talking I've given in to anxiety and I'm completely undone and it's actually going to start breaking relationships now. It can look different ways for different people. You can silent rage or you can road rage, but still rage. On the flip side, that neutral fear wanted was gifting you to take the other path called throw your whole anchor into the God who has control. What a gift to remind you. You're human, but you can anchor into the unhuman, perfect God. It makes me think of Charles, Charles Spurgeon's quote. He says, I learned to kiss the waves that throw me against the rock of ages. Oh, that's a scary wave. I can't control that wave. But that wave can throw me to Jesus. <laughs> and that's a gift. Because that's who I need. Isaiah 50, verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of his servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of the Lord and rely on our God. But now, all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches, go walk in the light of your own fire. And of the torches you have set ablaze, this is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Man, did the Isaiah 50 not just illumine those two roads. 
Throw your trust into Jesus when you fear. Let that take you to fear the Lord. Or go light your own torch. Do everything you can in your own power. And that torch will lead you to torment. You're going to face fear this week. The question is, will neutral fear lead you to the path of faith or to the path of anxiety and rage? Are you going to trust in your own torch or are you going to throw yourself onto the rock of ages? Hebrews 11 says it like this. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. Can't see it. I'm driving. It's a snowstorm. I can't see the road. But those red lights give me a true hope. The road is still there. Faith is a confidence in what we hope for. It's the assurance about what we do not see. And that's what the ancients were commended for. Every time... Neutral fear, because they couldn't see, because they weren't controlling it, they threw themselves on the rock of ages, and they're commended for it, because that's called faith. Later here in Hebrews 11, we're talking about Enoch. It says, Enoch was commended as one who pleased God, because he had faith. He threw himself on the rock when things were out of his control. Enoch was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Paul in Romans talks about if it's seen, it's not faith. We want so badly to see because then we can control it. But when it's not seen, that forces fear And fear, rightly placed, takes you to faith. And faith pleases God. How often does our desperate attempt to light our own torches, to control our own situation, even the way we pray is, God, I need you to do A, B, and C. How often are my prayers actually, God, I have places in my life that I can't control right now. Would you please remove those places in my life so I can continue controlling my life happily? Right? Aren't our prayers often like, I can't control this. Put it under control so I can have peace again. Which another way to say that is, Lord, I don't want to please you. Take all instances of faith out of my life because I'm not worried about pleasing you. I'm worried about pleasing me. And I believe my little torch can please me better than your eternal consuming fire. How often are my first prayers take this fearful thing away from me? Versus saying, okay, I'll kiss the wave that throws me against the rock. Wouldn't it be ironic that our prayers are often prayers that actually are saying, take things away from me that would have led me to please you. And the irony is, when we please God, we get glimpses of what God does with pleasure. 
He pours it back on you. Think of the pleasure of the Father over the Son at baptism. I just get that image of Aaron when he's anointed with oil and the oil just runs all the way off, off his beard and overflows him. That's what pleasure of God looks like. Why would you not want to please God? Oh, fear is actually trying to lead you to a place of faith that throws you on the rock of ages that pleases him just so that he in his glory pours that pleasure back on you. No wonder Pastor Spurgeon wants to kiss that wave. So I'm talking about fear that leads to faith, that leads to pleasing God, that's poured back on you. Now let's go back to Paul in this story. And then we're going to come back to us and say, how can we live like that? And the next fearful thing that happens. Just look at what Paul's posture is. Paul knows people are about to kill him and they're intent on doing it. That's scary. First, I just want to say, basically, and I, he doesn't get paralyzed. I think that's worth noting out, right? My, my, thought on the, my first thought on the road in the snowstorm is, let me just pull over on the side of the road. <laughs> let me stop doing anything. Bad idea. He doesn't get paralyzed. He's not passive. I would say he quickly does a couple of actions that are just wise. Things that are within capacity, he announces he's a Roman citizen. That's wise. I don't think he prayed for three days and fasted. Hey, by the way, you're about to kill a Roman citizen. He just, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. His nephew comes and he, he doesn't say, well, hey, why don't you pray on that for a few days? No, he says, I need you to immediately go to the tribune. He, he doesn't get paralyzed. He does wise things. That's fair. I think that's good to point out. He doesn't fight or flee. I want to assume my response is when I get into a fearful situation is pretty human. I either want to get really upset and fight somebody or I'm just like, you know what? I'm not dealing with this. I don't have to deal with this. We're going. I'm leaving that situation. I'm leaving that relationship. I'm leaving that geographical place. I'm, just, I'm, I'm done. I don't need to put up with this. You know what I'm talking about? You, that immediate knee-jerk reaction when there's something fearful. You're like, you're either going to buck up or you're getting out of there. That, that, the fight or flight. So I don't see him getting paralyzed. I don't see him uh, getting in a fight. And I don't see him saying, Lord Jesus, I never meant to come to Jerusalem. Get me out of here. He's not, I don't see fight or flight. I don't see him giving into his flesh or fight or flight. something else I don't see him doing. I don't see him trying to get control of the situation. It's not like, okay, hey, Tribune, I need you to come to my cell. We need to talk right now. I don't see him trying to take control. I want to talk about that later of how in moments when we're not afraid, how do we prepare ourselves for the moments when fear happens. And one of those main things we can do is even when life's comfortable, constantly be reminding ourselves we're actually not in control. So when that lack of control starts to spiral, that's not surprising. 
We're humus. We're humanity. We're from dust. We never are in control. That's just a healthy thought in good times and bad. Remind yourself, you're not in control anyways. So Paul, knowing he's not in control, frees him in this moment to not try to grasp for control. I don't see him being anxious right now. I'm thinking about one of the keys to why when fear hit, why was he ready to not grasp for control? And I think one of the answers is two chapters before what you've already studied in Acts 21. It says, Paul answered, you know, the people are begging, please don't go to Jerusalem. It's horrible. You're going to die. And Paul answers, what are you doing? Weeping. You're breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since Paul would not be persuaded. They finally remarked, the will of the Lord be done. We'll stop controlling you, Paul, because you're not trying to control yourself. May his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That prayer gets to the heart of humus. You don't, it's not about my will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I think Paul has been breathing that prayer so often when fear strikes, he goes, whatever. <laughs> I'm letting my hands go. Your will be, it's not about my will. If it was about my will, I wouldn't even be in Jerusalem. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We don't see Paul rage. We don't see Paul become bitter. We do see Paul remembering He's remembering past promises of God. The Spirit's actually reminded him. He just reminded him the night before. You know you're going to Rome. You know you're supposed to suffer. You know that you're going to preach before great leaders. You know that God's going to use you for the gospel to go forth. You're not, you can't die tonight. I kind of think it's probably similar to David taking on Goliath. David already knew Samuel had already anointed him. You can't, you can't die because you're going to be king. But in the moment of fear, he might doubt what he's heard in the past. But Paul has a rhythm in his life to constantly remember God's past promises and faithfulness. Do you have that rhythm? Paul doesn't doubt. He's anchored in past promises and faithfulness. He, he, he knows he's going to suffer but he's not suffering because God's not stronger than evil. That's important, right? He's not freaking out here saying, you know what? I don't think God hears my prayers. Or, hey, God hears my prayers, but he can't stop 40 fasting people. He's not afraid that God's lost control, is what I'm saying. God's got all the resources. God's got all the love, and he's got all the wisdom. So if God can stop it, and he loves Paul, and he's got wisdom on the story he's telling, then Paul would say, okay, I don't know what's going on here, but it's okay. I'm not doubting God's wealthy resources, his all-powerful strength, and his great love for me. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to doubt that. 
One last thing. There was something, I don't know when you guys preached on this. I thought it was really peculiar. Paul had said something in Acts 20. Um, it sounded, um, let me just read it. He says, therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. And I kind of want to say, well, time out, Paul. You actually were kind of the reason Stephen was killed. Probably a lot of other people too. So you're really actually pretty guilty of a lot of blood. Because Paul could have said this. You know what? The reason I'm suffering right now is it's just my turn. You know, I knew it was going to come back. That those things I did in my past, I knew it would come back. You know, I'm, I'm paying my penance. That's why this is happening right now. I, I just, I deserve it. Has that, have you ever, has that been, as you, as you succumbing to your fears and, and you're trying to figure out your pathways out and you finally, maybe what you resign is, you know what? I just, I just deserve this. It's called shame. You know what? That would have robbed God from his purposes. That's not God at all. The vindication of Paul's murder of Stephen and others will never be paid by Paul. They were paid by Christ. So Paul's not there. You know what? I give up. This is my own fault. I got myself into this mess. He's not saying that. No, Jesus is doing this not for my punishment. Jesus is doing this for the kingdom of light to go forward in darkness. And I don't want to miss the moment. Don't diminish his movement of his kingdom through scary things in your life by saying, oh, it's my own fault. I just deserve this. That's not, that's not what a child of God says. You don't deserve, you deserve it, but the price has been paid by Christ. Free him to do glorious kingdom things through scary things and not dilute it by saying, it's my own fault. There's no fault here. There's a kingdom violently going forward and destroying darkness. Paul's not drowning in shame right now. He's not drowning in bitterness. He's not drowning in rage. He's not drowning in anxiety. He's on the rock of ages, trusting the God of all resources, all love, of all power, is working for the movement of the kingdom of light. Betsy Tenboom, last time I was here, I was talking about good stories to surround ourselves with. And we talked about Corey. She talked about her sister. As her sister lay dying in Ravensbrück concentration camp, one of her last words she says to Corey is this. We must tell them that there is no pit so deep that he is not deeper still. And they will listen to us because we've been here. Because they went into the heart of trouble, driven by the Spirit into very fearful places. And they can still speak of the deeper love of Jesus than the pits they've been in. People listen. People listen. So what do we do when we are threatened? You might have a threatening relationship. 
finances might be threatening you right now. A boss, a colleague, or maybe you have your own company and it's threatening you. There might be a health diagnosis that just happened to your family or just the fear of a health diagnosis. It's threatening. You might be at a place of losing control of your schedule or your plans. It's threatening you. Maybe you're losing your influence on other people that you used to influence, and that's threatening you. Maybe you're being called to do something tough and scary. Maybe it's overwhelming, and that's threatening you. Are you struggling with paralysis? Are you struggling with fight or flight? You know what? I'm just leaving this church. I'm just leaving that relationship. I'm just leaving this neighborhood. I'm just going to leave. Or I'm not going to put up anymore. I want to let them know who I am. I'm tired of being stepped on. Fight or flight? Do you struggle with control that leads to anxiety and it keeps you up at three in the morning? You struggle with bitterness and rage. Where you're not sober-minded, all you can do is think really frustrating thoughts about that. And you're tired of those frustrating thoughts not letting your mind go. Every one of these reactions are totally natural. None of those reactions are supernatural. Apart from a supernatural intervention, you will struggle with Paralysis, fight or flight, control, anxiety, bitterness, rage. You will. Because you're humus. You're broken humus. How do we prepare ourselves for threats? If you're not in a threat, or if you are in a threat right now, what can the Bible inform you on your posture leaving church today? One, may we constantly let go of control. In good times and in bad times, may our posture be, I'm not in control. Acts 20, 24, Paul had said this. This is kind of his language before there was a threat. He was hanging out with people who were weeping over him and loving him. This was a good, safe moment for him. And this is what he says. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish a race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He's constantly letting go. In good times and in bad times, he's letting go. Are you, do you have a rhythm in your life of constantly letting go? Two, he's constantly strengthening his faith, remembering God's all-powerful, God's all-wise, God has all the resources, and God's all-loving. Because Satan's going to attack with doubt when we faith those things. Maybe he's not all-powerful. Maybe he's not all-wise. Maybe he just can't save me from this one. He doesn't have the resources. Maybe he doesn't love me because of those things I did in my past. Constantly root yourself in these biblical truths of who God is for when the winds come. Three, Paul's remembering God's past goodnesses. 
that we have a rhythm to remember. Don't quickly forget the amazing things he's done in your past. Four, in our prayers is our habit to cry out for God's resources or is our habit to cry out for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? If Paul's habit was, Lord, I want these comforts, I want these conveniences, I want to have an American dream kind of life, he would have been thrown into the deeps because his prayers have been for resources, and now he's without resources. But instead, his prayer has been, I'm, I'm about, my life's worth nothing to me. Whatever Jesus wants to testify to his gospel because I'm, I'm a, I am putting my trust in the kingdom to come, not what's here right now. Is your habitual prayer, Lord, give me more resources, or is your habitual prayer, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because that prayer will prepare you for when fear comes. Finally, this is connecting to the sermon I preached last time I was here. Surround ourselves with stories of godly courage, both in Scripture and in friendships. Are you hearing courageous stories so you're not standing alone when the threat strikes? Are you, are you hearing those stories often? My, my, my desire is to spend time in the morning with Jesus before I see the world. Before I'm a dad, before I'm a spouse. Just root myself in stories in Scripture that put courage in my soul for the day. Whether it's Joshua taking on 31 kings and he's stuck, he can't go back across the Jordan because there's no pathway across. They have to take on the kings. Whether it's Jesus who... Take any story. I have so many stories here, but for time, I won't go into them right now. I think of, I think of when Peter cuts the ear off, right? You remember what Jesus' response was? Don't you know my father could send down 12,000 legions of angels right now? He's got the resources. It's not about resources, Peter. He doesn't need your sorry sword. He's got the resources. You're not trusting his wisdom that we're doing his will on earth right now on this hard path. Man, I want to remember that next time. I'm like, Lord, where are the 12,000 angels? And say, apparently your wisdom says not right now. Hold them back. Because I'm doing my will. I think of him feeding the 5,000, and pretty quickly afterwards, feeding the 4,000. Then pretty quickly afterwards, the disciples are fighting on the boat because there's not food. And Jesus rebukes them and says, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not see or understand? Do you not have a hardened heart? Do you have a heart and heart? Having eyes you don't see, having ears you don't hear? Weren't you there when I just fed 4,000 and 5,000? 
Don't you remember when I broke seven for the 4,000? How many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up afterwards? And then he said to them, seven. He was saying to them, don't you yet understand? Because they went into a new fearful thing. They're hungry. They're on a boat. There's no food and they're afraid. And this is what Jesus is saying to them. And this is what he's saying to you today. If something fearful happens this week, don't forget the bread. Don't forget the bread. He's given you bread at different times in your life. Don't forget the bread. You silly goose. If I can feed 4,000 and have baskets left over, don't you think I can feed you again? Don't forget the bread. None of this is natural. All of this is supernatural, but it pleases him and trust in his timing. He's going to pour that pleasure back on you. Let go of control constantly. Strengthen our faith. In the fact, he's all powerful, all wise, has all resources. He's all loving. Keep remembering past goodnesses of bread. Don't pray for resources habitually. Pray that his will will be done on earth as in heaven and surround yourself with stories of godly courage. Lord Jesus, even talking about fearful things can make us fearful because we're humus. But may we not be afraid of fear. May we be afraid of toxic fear that throws us into that horrible thing called anxiety and rage. And may may you work in our hearts even in expectation of, oh, fear, that old faithful friend that always gives me faith. Oh, and that faith, it always gives me the chance to please the Father. (laughs) And that pleasing the Father always ends up pouring pleasure back on me that I can then pour on others. May we not be afraid of fear, Lord Jesus. May we not be afraid of fearful things that might happen this week. May we be expectant of opportunities of faith to please you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.